Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. I'm definitely more reflective now just because, I mean, it can be taken away from me like that, one misstep or one bad bad jump. And, you know, back in the day, it just felt like work more. You know, it just kind of programmed you to feel more robotic and just do your your daily daily routines. But now I just try to find joy in every routine I do, whether it's the drive to the arena, um, being on the trading table. It's just uh, such a awesome job to be a NBA player and uh, I, I knew that before but going through surgeries and rehabs and putting a jersey on just hits so much harder than it did back in the day to be back for a sixth time it's uh it's incredible it's even incredible just saying that I never really thought that was a possibility in my rookie year and um, it's just great I'm just gonna enjoy every second of this and you know, play as hard as I can, and then you can walk away with no regrets. Traditionally, this is this is how it's supposed to work in the NBA. If you look at, you know, over the years, you know, you, you grow a team through the draft, you take your lumps in the playoffs, you climb up, and then you, you know, you get to, to the finals. Um, and this, our team was built somewhat the same way, you know, a couple trips to the playoffs and, and uh, with some young guys and, Gain more and more experience and break through. So, I think it's um, what what I like is it's two teams that um, were mostly built with patience and through the draft and uh, development, player development, and and continuity. And I think that's good for the sport. Here we go, J. A. Adande once again. We're not at an NBA Finals together. We're not in an NBA All-Star game <laughs> experiencing all kinds of things that we still talk about to this day. Even yes. They happened like 25 <laughs> years ago. Yes. Yes. A guy, a guy in Minnesota uh, just randomly saying yes as he did everything, <laughs> as he shot the basketball. I am walking in a circle. I am I'm talking to the a ball. crowd. Why was he mic'd <laughs> yeah, up? Was a weird dude. He was mic'd up as he <laughs> I did know. this. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why he's mic'd up. But I know why you're mic'd up. Mike, uh, uh, replacing Mike Smith. I'm so ex- in for Mike Smith. As you know, in for Mike Smith for today. Yeah, okay. that, that's how rumors get started. Okay, that's how it gets started. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> One slip and, of the tongue. That's how rumors hey, get started. I'm filling in, in for Mike Smith. For Mike, Smith. Mike Smith. Mike Smith will be back on Monday. Now, NBA Finals. I see you got all kinds of cool stuff in your feed. And I'm guessing... Uh, should we start with? I think I, I see you got Curry's award tour. We'll go back yeah. to that in a second, but it seems like okay. you think you got. Let's just put it out there. You got the Warriors winning the series. I'm guessing, right? I do, and I know you have the Celtics. Um, I'm going with the Warriors primarily because experience matters, and it's worth at least one game in the series. Um, maybe the Celtics are good enough to overcome that that one game experience gap, but. 
I don't think they're quite ready yet. You don't think they're ready? Okay. Um, yeah, experience matters for about. Um, it matters. It mattered yesterday. Okay. It mattered during the interviews. And you see all the media from around the world and all the questions and all the attention. It's just you two, and the finals are a big deal. So this is the first time the Celtics are going through that. The Warriors have been through it uh, now six times. So that matters. I think experience will matter in the first half of the game tonight, but I just can't see it in game three, game four, game five. I, I don't think you can rely on the Warriors experience as a separator in this series. So I'm not dismissing the experience. I'm just saying it's got a shelf life and I think the shelf life is very brief. It's like Snapchat. You look, you look <laughs> and it's there and then it's gone. <laughs> Okay. But you know what? You're, you're right. You're right. It, it dissipates. But I will say, if it does go to seven games, it will resurface, right? Because okay. uh, right. there's even right. though the Celtics, even though the Celtics have had two game sevens in this playoff run alone, but there's a difference between playoff game seven and finals game seven. I once put that to Rasheed Wallace. I said, I, I found like it might be kind of a dumb question. Like, Rasheed, is there a difference between like a regular game seven and a finals game seven? And as Rasheed put it, and I wasn't able to quote this, so now I'm glad I can actually say it. He's like, he's like, the the, the difference is like, <laughs> like game seven in the NBA Finals. Like I don't know how you spell that out, but that's literally what Rasheed said. Like it's that much higher. It it takes off like your your heart rate and everything else when you're getting ready for an NBA Finals game seven. But I so it this, could come back into play if it goes seven. Except okay, but in that case, um, combined they're zero and one in game sevens. I think. Because the Warriors have never won a game seven in their in their in the fi- uh, three in the championships. Not, not in they the never finals, won a game seven. They, they, right. Not in the finals. No, the well, only yeah, one. Celtics right. won a game. Celtics won two game sevens just in this playoffs. But the, the Warriors Celtics have won game finals. sevens during the playoffs. They just have one in the finals. So but the they Celtics- played in a game seven in the finals. I think that makes a difference. Okay, uh, that made, that makes a difference. All right, uh, I'll, I'll say this. But this is where I really want to go because Steve Kerr said something that I think will go along with one of your feed items and, and and it's really something that just needs to be reconciled because it's it's, it's bubbling there. It's beneath the surface <laughs> and we just gotta we gotta play uh, you be Sigmund Freud. I'll be Carl Jung uh, Alvin Poussant. I'll be like some psychiatrist. <laughs> you know, we'll just we'll just kind of untangle what's happening here because I think we got a clue from Steve Kerr's answer about how these teams are built. Now, it sounds good. It's very quotable, Jay. Like, you're writing a column for the LA Times. I'm writing a column for the Boston Globe back in the day. We're both using it, talking about, oh, they're built the right way, and, you know, mostly through player development and the draft. Hold on, dog. Are we going to act like that you didn't have <laughs> half of your finals appearances with some dude who you didn't draft and you didn't develop? Some dude who won two finals MVPs. One of them, he averaged 35 in the finals. You and, and so that's the issue. <laughs> See, that's why Kevin Durant is so pissed off, and I don't blame him because it's almost like the Warriors see this huge. It's not just an elephant. It's like a whole. It's Zootopia in the room, and and they act like Kevin Durant is not there or they act like Kevin Durant wasn't a part of their fabric like he was. 
and it bothers him. And and in comments like Steve Kerr went saying this and Steve Kerr saying when they were a lottery team, hey, I actually enjoyed coaching this team more than I did our last championship run. And Kerr and, and KD said, that doesn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to me either. <laughs> well, to me, the most so that, awkward part came in the midst of it. After they won the first championship at the parade, Bob Myers, the GM, made a joke about, well, Kevin does count. He wasn't here. He's not like an original one of the guys like that. Like he separated the team into our guys and the outsiders in the championship celebration. So you, I always wonder if the seed was planted that day. If KD was like, man, I'll never be accepted as one of the guys. But here's the thing. We, we can debate impact and, and who was responsible for this or that. A quick point, Michael, is that their first finals MVP from their first championship was a guy they acquired in a, I don't know if it was a trade or, or a free agency signing, but Andre Iguodala was not drafted yep. by the Warriors either. So all of their finals MVPs were not drafted. I think that's worth pointing out. Uh, but here's the thing I want to point out. They played 10 NBA Finals games with Kevin Durant. They won nine of those 10 games, including the one in which he Ooh. tore his Achilles. He started that game, and they still won wow. that game. Without Kevin wow. Durant, they played 18 NBA Finals games. This group of Warriors, this core of Warriors, They've won eight out of the 18. They're eight and 10 without Durant. With Durant, they're virtually unbeatable in the NBA Finals. That's without a great, Durant, that's a they're, great stat. you know, it, it could go either way. So, so that's and the I'm definitive. Stealing it. <laughs> and I'm stealing it. <laughs> you can use it. You know, that it doesn't mean that they're not credit, worthy. Credit, Look, they, credit J.A. Donde, eight and 10 without Durant. Yes. <laughs> they've made three NBA Finals Boston without Sports Durant. Tonight. NBC Sports Boston. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> they, they've made three NBA Finals without Kevin Durant, and that's noteworthy. And that's an accomplishment yep. in and of itself. But, again, with Kevin Durant, they were virtually unbeatable. Um, yeah. His, his skill – what LeBron had to say, LeBron's acknowledgement, basically he called him a juggernaut with Durant. The, the respect that LeBron had for Durant. The respect the other Warriors had for Durant when they first got him. I was out there at that training camp, and they were just amazed seeing it up close every day in practice – how great he was. I'll never forget, Andre Iguodala said, he doesn't need to adjust to us. We need to adjust to him. Ooh, and let's give ooh, Steph Curry good. credit for welcoming him and for, you know, taking on that risk, so to speak, that, okay, we can bring in this guy, we're going to win championships, and mm-hmm. it's probably going to mean that I won't get as much credit as I would otherwise because we could probably win championships without him. We're definitely going to win championships with him. It's going to, you know, be a slight hit to my resume, but I care about winning the championship. So we should credit Curry for being willing to take that on. I do. I, I give him a lot of credit for that because, you know, they had won the championship. I mean, they've been to two finals without, Ke- uh, without Kevin Durant. So, you know, they, they handled Cleveland pretty easily, I felt like, the first time, 2015. Uh, well, I know they were Draymond trailing 2-1, two, two, two though. And, yeah. and remember, Draymond uh, says that, oh, nobody well, beat us when we were a hole. Cleveland that wasn't that a hole was that, that, was that first year. Right. That first year they weren't? Who got hurt? In Cleveland? The first, the first final. Kyrie gets yeah. hurt in the first game. Kevin Love was hurt, like, early in the playoffs against your Celtics. That was the first Your boy one. put him out. That was the first. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so they beat Cleveland without Kyrie. That's right. Kelly Olenek. And, and Kevin Love. <laughs> pulling his shoulder out. And then, not only that, though, not only did he pull his shoulder out, that, thank you for that uh, reminder, he pulled his shoulder out. He was like, what? What? That, was, that wasn't a dirty, that wasn't a dirty play? Like, what? What's, what's going on? Um, but not only that, 
so they were they, they won the first uh, championship in six games. I think they celebrated in Cleveland. Then the second one that was a 73 wins and that's the comeback. That was a great comeback 73 win team by the Cavs. So they right. had they had it, but the dimension that they went to. I don't know about you, Jay. I, I made this comment before. I don't know if you think this is crazy, given the team that you covered um, in Chicago. The best basketball team I've ever seen in my life. With all respect to the 96 Bulls, with all respect to the 86 Celtics, with all respect, old timers, I see you out there, you know, 63 Celtics, 67 Wilt Chamberlain, Sixers, 83 76ers. 83, fo, 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 got it, got you. I'm telling you, Kevin Durant with the Warriors, I've never seen anything like it in my life. Best basketball team I've ever seen. You can pick 17 or 18. I'll give you either one. I can make an argument for either one. That was basketball at the highest level I've ever seen. How about well, you? 17 was definitely better than 18. It, it's funny. I went back and looked up the numbers. They, they had a point differential. Of, uh, they were plus 11.5 in that regular season, that, that season. So they didn't win the 73 games that year. But, but, I mean, they were beating teams by double digits every single night. And they almost ran the table in the playoffs. It's, it's ironic. The one loss that they had in the finals with Durant was the best team that they had. And if you remember, it was an almost perfect game by Cleveland, which Cleveland had some great talent on that team as well, most notably LeBron right. James. They put up almost 50 points in the first quarter of that game. And, you know, they, they, they just weren't – nobody was beating Cleveland on that night. But that's what it took to get a game, even just a game, off that team. Um Best ever, I, I, I'm not so sure. And it's funny because we don't talk about the Kobe Shaq any of those years as, as the best single team ever, right? But and they had some great ones. Especially the and 2001, when, when, when they almost ran the table in the playoffs. Remember they, 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 they lost one They lost game yeah. one of the finals. after They'd been off for like yeah. two weeks because they'd swept through the Western Conference finals. And they lost that one game in overtime. And um, as I'll never forget, I, I went up. Uh, Brian Shaw was walking into the arena with me then, and I was asking him how like that team matched up with some of the Lakers teams he was on. His one question was, "What would they do about Shaq? You know, what would those Warriors have done about Shaq?" <laughs> Ignore him. He said, "Look, you gonna get your fifty. You gonna get your fifty. We're gonna try to. We're gonna. You can't do anything about Shaq. But then again, see, this is where." And I know great players figure things out. I understand this. Great players figure it out of, of all eras. But it is hard for me to, to think about like some of those teams from the 80s, 80s and early 90s, playing this three-point game. They developed their three-point shot. But how about the switches? Like I just can't imagine. Like what? Okay, what do they do about Shaq offensively? Yeah, that's a problem. But what does Shaq right, do they're, about? They're going to draw him out. All yeah. Of the, yeah. Like what is? How does he handle all that? I guess if if he knows if he's if he's coming up in this era, does he uh, does he drop like thirty five pounds, and does he become work on his jumper? Here's the thing though, and, he, and this is what happens a lot. So you know the math is that okay, shooting like forty percent from three is better than shooting like sixty percent from two, something like that or equivalent. Right, right. But like, Shaq's got a much better chance of shooting sixty percent 
inside the paint for most of the series, then you have a shooting 40%. You know, you're not always going to shoot 40%. Yeah, right. Shaq, right, right, Shaq right. you can count on him, you know, shooting above 50% every game, right? You can't count probably, on making 40% probably of your threes 70%. every game. Right. Probably 70%, <laughs> okay, inside. Which brings me back to the preps. See, this is why I'm going to put it out there. See, I'm, I'm not going to wait until game one to make a prediction. I think the Celtics win this series quite comfortably. I didn't say easily. I think they win it quite comfortably because I really don't see that the, the, the Golden State doesn't have a rim protector. Who said they don't have a rim protector? They're, they're below average in the league when it comes to protecting the rim. Draymond, Looney. Uh, yeah, but they're, but they're like uh, they're like 18th in the league in block shots. They turn the ball over. This is what shocks me. They're bottom two in the league in turnovers. Only yeah. team that's worse with with turnovers is the Houston Rockets. So they foul a lot. They turn the ball over, and they don't protect the rim. I I think that's a bad. <laughs> you know, I don't really like all of those. When I check my vital signs for my championship teams. I don't like checking in and, and, and looking at that. It's like your doctor saying, okay, you know what? You're on the verge of something. You're doing well now, but you need to cut down the sugar and you need to work out a little bit more or it's going to be a problem. You're doing all right right now, but those signs, I don't, I don't really like what I see there from the Warriors. I, I really think the Celtics are going to win this thing right there. Give me the uh, plus 450 Celtics and six to be comfortable. <laughs> Although if I'm feeling real bold, if I'm feeling real bold, I'm looking at that plus 900. So you're Celtics thinking the, the Celtics are going to win two games in San Francisco. First NBA yeah. Finals games played ever in San Francisco, by the way. Um, yeah, but, great. So that, that, that's what you mean. Because one thing you can count on statistically is that the Warriors are going to win a game in Boston because they won a road playoff game in 26 consecutive series now. So you can, can count on them getting yeah. at least one in Boston. So that means in order to win, the Celtics are going to have to win twice in San Francisco. Tonight? So basically you're saying game two start, or game six. Start, or maybe game one. Game one? Why, very, why are we conceding? very surprised if they win game be, Because I You'd told you, Michael, it's different. One? There's levels of this, and like it every time I love you it. move up to another level, you basically yeah. have to like subtract one win for the team that's playing at this stage for the very first and, time. If we're going with patterns, if we're going with patterns, if you got if you got the Warriors winning tonight, that wouldn't make sense because the Celtics, they they barely, I mean, they won game one at the buzzer against Brooklyn. Uh, you know, that was close. They they you could say they probably should have lost that game, but they won it. They lost game one against Milwaukee. They lost game one against Miami. And if if we're following that pattern, you know, especially against Milwaukee and Miami, uh, probably either a close game tonight or a loss based on what they've done before. But they usually lose those games and then bounce back. I would like to see what Golden State does down in the series. I don't think they've been down in the postseason yet, right? Not they this year. But, but one thing, again, that's right. where you get back to the experience. So they trailed twice in their first run in 2015. They fell behind 2-1 to Memphis, and that's when Steve Kerr first started going with the, the death lineup. So that prompted a big change. And, and then um, they were down 2-1 to one in the finals to LeBron. And uh, basically just LeBron because, again, like we said, they didn't have Kyrie or Kevin Love. So they trailed 2-1 in their first finals. So they, they Draymond and Clay and Steph have been behind before. So I think they'd be comfortable 
playing from behind in the series. That that wouldn't freak them out too much. I mean, I I, I could yeah. see a scenario, Michael, where 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 um, you know they they uh, actually you know what I have to correct myself because Celtics in six that would be winning at home. I was thinking back to the two three two days. So if the Celtics right. win in six, let me make a quick revision. You have them winning game six at home. So um, let me amend that. But but I think you know I I, I think that the, the Warriors would be fine going down 2-1. I, I want to get – can we get to my, my lead topic here? Because I want to put oh, the yeah, Steph Curry bring it, bring the it, debate bring to, it to rest right here. Listen, so, it's brother from another. Like, let's do it. You know, he, he's on – I call it the award tour. Actually, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do a tease. Wanna, right. You know, Gary Carter saying he want to pay some bills, want to get a break in. And then we got a tease. Jay Adonde's award tour. Is he talking about a tribe called Quest? We're on or a is he talking with my about Mike and my man, <laughs> Steph Curry? <laughs> All right, so we'll get to that. We'll get to that right after this. That's what they say in these linear TV shows. Right after this, right after the break. That's important message. Stick around. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. We just wanted to get to the playoffs in one piece as much as possible and give ourselves the best chance. Um, and somehow we obviously made it through this run with, with some injuries, but for the most part, um, you know, the vision of getting here never, never faded ever. For us, you know, the core guys that have been around, been through this, there was always confidence in what we can do on the floor. And then each series, you know, these last, you know, four or five weeks, have shown a little bit different uh, opportunity for different guys to step up, and it's been awesome to see. All right, Jay Adonde, you teased us with Steph in the award tour. So take it away, man. What's on your mind? So there's been all this talk about does Steph Curry need to win an NBA Finals MVP award, the Bill Russell Award? We, we need to get that name out there more. Does he need one of them Russells? Yeah. Uh, you know, in order to have his his career be complete, um, I say no, and here's why hmm. I say no because okay. so since 1979-80, which is your Magic and Larry Bird came into the league, also the first okay. year of the three point shot, which I think is very relevant to this conversation. Since 1979-80, here are the players who have won multiple MVPs and won multiple championships: Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Tim Duncan, LeBron James. And Steph Curry. So if he doesn't score a single point, win a single game in these NBA Finals, guess what? He's still at that table. He's still in the room with those guys. That's a pretty exclusive dinner party that he gets an invite to. And something he has that none of those guys have, he's made more three-point shots than anyone in the history of the game. So again, without doing a single thing more, he's already on that list. Now, he's the only one in that group that doesn't have an NBA Finals MVP. I'll grant you that. But but you know what? But he's already in that. He's already in that list, though. So does he make him more in that list if he gets a Finals MVP? No, he's there. He's on the list, but he's not on the list. He's on that list. 
And the guy'd be like, hey, fellas, you know, hey, listen, let's raise a glass. We're in such rare company. Come on, come on, come on. Fill your glass. You know, because we got, remember that time we won the finals MVP? And, you know, you know what it's like, fellas. And then they're like, yeah, yeah. Steph's like, nah. Uh, because they gave it to Iguodala one year. Uh, and then and then another time, well, two other times, you know, Kevin Durant got it. So maybe he should take my place. He should sit down here and talk to y'all. Uh, because I guess they both, like, Durant, it still comes back but to Kevin Durant, Durant doesn't have him. multiple MVPs. Shaquille O'Neal doesn't have multiple back. MVPs. Kobe you know Bryant doesn't have multiple MVPs. To be fair, which you can argue is a greater test, Michael. Would you rather? Would you rather be considered the best over a course of eighty-two games or over the course of seven games? Mm, uh, uh-uh, seven. Because I want both. I got, I'm getting a two for one, like we talked about before this segment started. You said I can do a two for one. I can too. <laughs> I can be a champion and I can be considered the best player in the world. I can be the best player of the summer. Summer matters. Like the MVP. MVP this year, nobody's thinking about him, and I, I think he deserved it. Um, obviously, Jokic was the rightful MVP in my eyes, but nobody's thinking about Jokic right now. And when the season ends, no one will be thinking about Nikola Jokic. They will be thinking about the man who wins the MVP. And going into the 22-23 season, that guy is going to continue to get a lot of attention. He'll be elevated wherever he is right now. Whether it's Steph Curry or Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they'll all be elevated. Steph Curry wins it. He'll be elevated. He'll be like a, you know, people will say, hey, is he the best player in the league? Is he the best? Jalen Brown, oh, we didn't have him in the top 10. Is he a top 10 player now? Jason Tatum, he should be in the top five. It's a magical individual honor that's connected to a team honor. That's why I give it so much love. But you know what, Jay? I think there are some injustices here. Just to be fair about it. Steph Curry doesn't have a finals MVP. He should. Kevin Durant doesn't have multiple regular season MVPs. He should. So should Kobe. So should Shaq. Uh, you know, it's it's surprising that we're that we're even having a conversation about all of those guys. So I, I want to pivot to something else Curry said during that day. He he uh it wasn't in that clip there, but somebody asked him um when he knew this team could be championship ready. And he said it actually came from the way they finished last year. They, they finished 15 and five. Remember they lost the two playing games, um, but yeah. they finished 15 and five. And from that, he said, okay, these guys now, and he'd been hard on some of the younger guys for a while, like trying to get them to understand what it really takes to compete at the highest level in this league. He didn't think they were getting it, but they showed him something. He showed himself something, a, that he still had it with that tear that he went on in April of last year. Um, but he saw the group come together collectively, and that was something they carried in. And it made me think of uh, Phoenix the year before when they went to the bubble, won all their games, even though it wasn't enough for them to qualify for the playoffs. They still went 8-0, and the players last year talked about how they built off that, and that helped them get to the finals last year, even win the first two games of the finals. And to me, it answered an old question. People talk about does momentum exist you know, within a series or within a season. I'm not a believer in momentum, but I am a believer in confidence. And confidence can carry over. And now we've had back-to-back years in which we've seen the confidence gain at the end of a season, even if it didn't result in any, you know, positive results for that season, not even a postseason birth, that confidence carried over. And so that's something to take into consideration during this series. 
is it's not about momentum, but who can maintain confidence? And I always argue, like, we've seen times where people think, oh, the momentum has changed, and it doesn't. If you go back to a lot of the most devastating NBA playoff losses, very frequently the team that lost that game came back and won the next game. Momentum didn't carry. The Robert Ory shot against the Kings. The Kings won the next game. Some of those Reggie Miller games against the Knicks when he snatched their hearts in Madison Square Garden. The Knicks came back and won. The Celtics this year losing that heartbreak in Boston game five. They game came five. back and yep. won game six won on the road. And won the next two games. So momentum, games. Yep. right, momentum doesn't matter. But You're confidence, so right. the team that ha- can maintain or gain confidence, that's what matters. That's something to watch during this series. You know, I, I, like, I like the way you put things together. I'm going to put a word in for you. I think you'd be a great sports columnist. You ever think about doing that? You'd be a great <laughs> sports columnist. Just really Really, really well That's done. That's so 1990s. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, what are those sports columns? That was my previous what do they life. Do? That was my previous what, life. What, what do they do? I don't know what that is. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's funny that you say this, Jay, because I am going to, I'm really going to take this. I have one of these, uh, I have one of these, this is from Peacock. This is a, it's like a whole notebook. It's like stickies. All right. It's all stickies. one of those. Right. right. Post-it hey, notes. I'm going to, I'm going to take one. And I said this like yesterday. I was going to remind myself. I'm going to put one here on my camera here <laughs> and put one in the camera in the studio. And I'm just going to say series dynamics, series dynamics, because like we always forget that the series probably has at least three turns in it. And we all overreact to what we see in each particular game as if, as you just pointed out, as if that connects to something greater, and it usually doesn't. It's just like this little masterpiece within a larger collective, and it's just this game. It's 48 minutes or 53, whatever it is, goes overtime. But that's all it is. And we usually take these games, depending on what we see, somebody has a 40-point game, 40 points, 10 rebounds. All right, they're going to take over the series. The series is over. Somebody wins game one. Okay, I told you. And especially zip two. The team goes down zip two. That's when we all lose our minds. I, I, I can think of two examples, including last year. So the Bucks go down zip two to Phoenix, and, and we were out in Tahoe, and I talked to Charles Barkley. We did. <laughs> and I said to Barkley, I said, okay, um, what, the Suns go sweep them? And he was like, you know better than that. You know better. The series is, this is early in the series. Sure enough, later that night, Bucks win that game. And they win three more. Giannis 50 in game six. And then do you remember, you probably covered this series, uh, Mavericks Heat in 06? I didn't do that one. I was right, in Germany the Mavericks, at the World Cup. The Mavericks win the first two games. And I remember, this is hilarious now in retrospect. I should find an article. There, there were a couple of articles talking about the Heat, how the moment was too big for them including young Dwayne Wade. <laughs> it was too big for him, right? <laughs> what happened after that? They went for straight. Dwayne Wade is unstoppable. He's like a, a, a mid-range uh, king, k- giving you 40 points, getting to the line. Just really, they had no answers for him. So I'm going to write this down, series dynamics, and know, Jay, that no matter what happens, it's just a game tonight. It's just one game. It's just not going to. Deter- it's not going to determine the series. 
the, the thing to look for is which things are sustainable and which are not. And to me, I, I'll go back to the 2004 series, the Pistons and the Lakers, and Lakers were heavy favorites, had home court advantage and everything else, and the Pistons won game one. And not only did they win game one, they won it despite missing a lot of free throws and a lot of layups. So they won even though they weren't at their best because they were so great defensively and kept the Lakers from doing whatever the Lakers wanted to do. And that was a key to their identity. They were a great defensive team. That was repeatable. Those type of defensive performances were repeatable. Yeah, yeah. And then you think, you know, if they can shoot better at the line and through the course of the game, they're going to win the series. Then the Lakers win the next game. Kobe makes a dramatic three-pointer at the buzzer to send it into overtime. Luke Walton had the game of his life coming off the bench. Luke Walton. The Lakers squeeze a game out of that. They squeeze a victory, and everybody's like, oh, now the Lakers have momentum. They didn't win another game. Okay, and, and that's always been a lesson for me. So I, I look for what is sustainable, and then there's going to be a fluky game regardless, right? Somebody's going to have, a, like you mentioned, a 40-point performance who has no business scoring 40 points in the finals, right? And he's yeah, going to do it. Right. Or there's going to be the way the game is officiated, even as either a singular call or, or there's somebody gets into foul trouble, yeah. something like that, you know, a poor shooting night from one team. There's going to be at least one fluky game. The, the question is, Will that fluky game determine the outcome? Are the teams that close that the fluke game will will swing the, the series one way or another? Or will it just be an outlier and the better team that can sustain what it wants to do? And, and again, final series are about who's better, who's better is best, right? And right. what can you do to sustain? Who can play the truest to their identity? And those are the things to look for during the course of a series. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Uh, final thing I'm going to ask you before we take a break and bring in our guy, uh, Tom Habistro from Metalog Media. Do you think, uh, and I know how much time you spent in Los Angeles, uh, you're an icon there. Do you think Lakers fans care that the Celtics win this series, they'll have more. They'll have more titles as an organization. Does that matter to just your... Your average Lakers fan walking around what should it still does. be called Staples Center. It, it, <laughs> but it's it, it does to them. And I, I would think, you know, anyone but the Celtics, if I'm a Lakers fan, and that anyone would include the Warriors who become kind of the modern rival to, to the Lakers, um, you know, even though they haven't had any playoff matchups. But, yeah, you don't want the Celtics. If you're in L.A., you don't want the Celtics being able to say, we have more than you. So, it's go Lakers, but it, uh, I'm going to bring back the words of, of Steve Spurrier, who once said, you know, his, his Gators were playing in the Orange Bowl, and, and meanwhile they had to sit and watch from the outside as Tennessee and Florida State, two of their biggest rivals, were playing for the national championship that year. Steve Spurrier says, well, you know, the bad news is one of them's going to be national champions, but the good news is one of them's going to lose. <laughs> so you just got to look at it that way. If you don't like either team that's in these finals, you just got to you just got to satisfy yourself knowing that one of them's going to lose and be in for a miserable summer. Why? Why? why I know. I know the answer to, to this question, but it's kind of rhetorical. Why does Steve Spurrier ever leave college football for the pros? He was so he was so built for college football. <laughs> He was a lot of fun to talk to. Yeah, he made his his money and then he went back. You can always go back. That's why, and that's why he went. He got the money, but he just never was built for for pro life. That wasn't him. He was just a college guy, wanted to sit around, knew he was going to have a a pretty good recruiting class, knew he was going to have better athletes than most of his opponents. You know, talk to the media a little bit, and then you go on tour, you play some golf, play some golf, right? 
A- yeah, another pretty good, pretty in the long life. list of bad moves and bad decisions by Dan Snyder. That's oh, what yeah. you got to chalk what? it up to. And, and But Steve Spare had to do it, right? The money was too good. You had to do it. See, that's a different show altogether. Dan Snyder <laughs> and the Washington Commanders. That's a different show. As a matter of fact, I need a drink after that. Let's, uh, let, let's take a little break and then come back and talk to our guy, Tom Haberstroh. Uh, always gives us something good. And I also want to get his Miami take. Uh, he's a guy who spent a lot of time in Miami. I want to see what he saw from the end of that uh, Celtics Heat series, including pretty ballsy shot from Jimmy Butler in the final 20 seconds for the lead. I'm not going to say it was for the win. I'm going to say it was for the lead. For the lead. Yeah. Pretty good. Tom Haberstroh coming up next. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. All right, Adonde, we're trying to get Tom Haberstroh's uh, feed set up, get it situation, situated. So in the meantime, I do want to ask you, seeing that best of there uh, with Megan Triplett yesterday, she did a great job. Uh, and, and there's a big, there's a significant age difference between us. I'm, I'm not going to say her age, but she's, her number is smaller than my number. Let's put it that way. What was your first concert? Because I'm sure your answer now you feeling me? You remember we're the same, right, right around the same age. So, so you it's a key question. First concert I went to, or first concert I was taken to? Because that's Ooh, a big that's difference. Good. See, I don't even remember. I was probably taking a lots of concerts. Co- co- so, uh, like a musical festival that I was taken to. What's the first one to? you went to? Okay, so, let's get so that one first. Yeah, the one you were taken to. First one I was taken to. My mom took me to to the Playboy Jazz Festival at the Hollywood Bowl, like 1978 or 79, the very first Playboy Jazz Festival. And it was like Miles Davis, Count Basie, Ooh. you know, what? so like, you know, I'm not giving away my age, but I'm, I'm old enough to have seen those people oh, perform I, live. I, I, it's, it's, bro, not, it's not like I saw them age. in their heyday. Listen, it's not like I saw them listen, in their heyday, but I can say that I saw Sarah Vaughn. Like, it was a incredible incredible lineup of all-time jazz greats that i can say i saw i don't have like very distinct memories of it but i do remember being in the building the the beautiful venue first one i remember going to on my own was actually public enemy had a concert at ucla like a like a like a pop-up concert almost in in the the bruin walk area that which is like the quad on most campuses and they had a concert and somebody heard about it and i we hopped in our car and drove up to ucla and i caught public what year is this this is like, I mean, had to be 80s, 88, probably 88. I want to say 1989, a number, <laughs> another summer. Yeah, it was before another that summer. summer. So yeah, I, I will okay. say this. I think it was before, before uh, takes the nation of millions had come out yet. So that, yo, that yo, dropped yo, like yo summer of 88. Yo, bum rush the show there. You know, maybe, yeah. uh, uh, Rebel my Uzi weighs a ton. Hold a it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All that stuff. <laughs> you know, but my, you, it was still, joint. you know, pump your fist music. It was still run DMC. So we we're out there in, in the oh, quad yeah. or in the yard pumping your fist. They ain't ready, Chuck. They ain't ready for it. All right. This is what we are ready for. Tom Haberstroh. I don't know what his yeah, first concert boy. was. Yeah, boy. Yeah, <laughs> boy. 
Tom Haberstro from Metal Arc Media is here. Uh, man, that was the greatest. I'm telling you, that may have been the greatest stall ever. We started talking about concerts. So now <laughs> we got to talk about concerts, man. We got to talk about concerts. What was your first? Before we talk about basketball, Tom, first concert you went to? Man, I think my parents took me to a Eagles concert back in wow. like Ooh. 1990. I was I was a little kid, so I was like four years old. In 1990, I was there with your parents. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't know all the words to Hotel California when they started singing that? You weren't singing along? You weren't holding up the lighter? <laughs> oh, I, I was holding something. Maybe it wasn't a lighter. My parents would probably be thrown in some sort of uh, parental guidance uh, camp there if, they, if I was holding a lighter. But no, I, I remember just swaying in the audience, and it sounded good to me. So yeah, that was my first concert. That's great. 1990, I was making money somewhere, so I can't say I was a kid. I wasn't making big money, but I was making money. So who's who's gonna be the uh, who's gonna be the money team tonight? Tom Haberstroh. Who's gonna be the money player? NBA Finals are here. We're all excited. We're basketball guys at heart. Uh, how do you see this playing out? I think the rest factor is huge, considering that the 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 Miami Heat brought them to the Boston Celtics to Game Seven, and actually it was like a war of attrition that it made Doka called that a, a series, a war of attrition. I think that's going to really hurt the Boston Celtics. And you heard Marcus Smart talking about how he ba basically shouldn't be walking because of how bad his ankle injury is. And he's going to go against uh, maybe the best point guard ever in the NBA finals and Stephen Curry. And he's going to have to shadow him and be a blanket on him for like the entire night. So I think it's going to be really difficult with Robert Williams's injury and with uh, with Marcus Smart's foot injury to keep up with the Warriors at, who have been basically waiting for them a week off since the Dallas Mavericks series. So I expect the Warriors to win game one. I expect the Warriors to win this series in six games because I think it's finally going to be the time that Stephen Curry gets that finals MVP and proves to all the doubters, not me, <laughs> proves to all the doubters. Oh, yeah. That I believe he's a, t a top ten player, and doubters, whether he wins the, the Finals doubters? MVP or not, who are he the believes. Who are the doubters? Come on, come on. Who are the doubters? I feel like we got some straw uh, persons out there. Who are the doubt? Who is doubting Steph Curry? And and is Man. it is it enough? Is it enough to fill um, an Eagles concert, a Public Enemy concert at UCLA? Do we have enough for like? Is it four thousand people? Three thousand? No way. My audience here at Meadowlark with Stu Gatz and with uh, Mike Ryan, Dan Lebetard, we've been talking about it all week. And there are still people who say that until Stephen Curry gets a finals MVP, he cannot be considered an all-time great. We're talking top 15, top 10. Can't be in that discussion without a finals MVP. And I get it. All the other players in that echelon have a finals MVP or multiple finals MVP. But what I can tell you right now is to me, it won't make a difference if he wins a finals MVP or not in this series because of this simple fact. Stephen Curry doesn't have to prove anything to anyone with his play in the finals. He's averaging 26 points, six uh, assists, and five rebounds per game in the NBA finals for his career. Do you want to know the list of NBA players in NBA history who can average those numbers or have averaged those numbers in the finals? It's two players. Their names are Michael Jordan and LeBron James. That's the list. 
Stephen Curry has put up great numbers in the finals. He dropped 47 points without KD in the Toronto Raptors finals, but Clay got hurt, KD got hurt. And we remember all the, you know, not so great games, but we forget about the fact that he has the best win percentage in the playoffs at 83 and 39, the best win percentage in the playoffs for any MVP in NBA history. I don't think he needs to prove anything in this series. I expect him to be great, like he always is, like that 26, 6, and 5 average tells me. I'm sure his plus minus is pretty remarkable, too. I want to ask you, you know, you used to have a, a series called the big number. What is the big number for this series? Either something that is very indicative going in or the number to watch over the course of the series. What, what statistic are you looking at that will tell the story? How many minutes Marcus Smart can play? To me, that is going to be the biggest indicator of how the Boston Celtics are going to fare in this series is how well Marcus Smart can play, stay out of foul trouble, and actually stay on his feet in this series. I think he's going to muck it up, guys. Like We've, we've watched Marcus Smart enough uh, basketball to see that he is going to try to get foul calls for Stephen Curry, try to get him out of the game. And if he's not at 100%, I expect Marcus Smart to try to get those flopping calls, try to get the uh, under Steph Curry's skin and, and get those opportunities where he can slow him down. He's not going to shut down Steph Curry. Let's make, make no mistake about it. He's not going to shut him down, but he needs to play as much as he can because he's their best option against Steph. What about Robert Williams, though? I, I'm, I'm more concerned about him from the Celtics' perspective because we saw the Warriors really get to the rim at will against the Dallas Mavericks, and that was probably the, the key stat in that series was the points in the paint and at the rim. Uh, you know, if Robert Williams isn't in there, I could see more of the same against Boston, Al Horford notwithstanding. 100% J.A. Like he has the best defensive rating on court defensive rating. When he is on the floor, the opposing team has a really difficult time scoring. And to me, he's the depoy of this season, uh, not Marcus Smart because of his rim protection. And did you see how many times he blocked three pointers in that series? Like who does yeah, that? From the, like what center blocks three pointers? It's incredible. And yeah. the other thing about this is, Robert Williams is less effective in transition because the, the Boston Celtics have a tough time in transition, and that is where the Golden State Warriors excel. And that is where I think a lot of this series is going to hinge, is in the open court. Can Draymond Green beat Robert Williams down the floor? Because that is going to be such a big key, is that transition offense from the Warriors is so killer. And you know that Steve Kerr is writing that number one on the scouting report. The Boston Celtics have a tough time getting back on defense, and you have to attack them before that half-court defense gets set. And I expect Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond to try to run them out of the gym here in game one. Okay, I want you guys, I want both of you to help me with this uh, because there are lots of opinions. Look, when, you, when you've achieved greatness, this is what I hear, uh, just from, from people who are great. Just, I'm just listening to them, that's all. But when you achieve greatness and you just set the bar so high, when you come down a little bit, people say, well, they're not the same. Yeah, I'm not the same, but I'm still better than most folks out there. And I, what I'm getting at is Clay Thompson. I, I, I wouldn't expect Clay Thompson to be the same he was three years ago after some major injuries. But how do you guys slot Clay Thompson right now? What do you see? Do you still see an all-league defender? Do you see a good defender, above average, average um, score? Like what? How, how do you assess Clay Thompson, 2022 June? 
Well, I'll, I'll jump in here and say, I think he's still an all-star on the offensive end, but on the defensive end, he doesn't have that lateral quickness like he once did. And guys, I don't blame him. He had not just an Achilles tear, but an ACL tear. Most players, most people on this earth would never be able to like walk again or run again after those suffering those two injuries, much less play in the NBA finals and drop 30 plus. So I think Klay Thompson is not the defender he once was. I expect the Boston Celtics to try to hunt him offensively, try to get him in a high screen role with Jason Tatum and try to hunt him and see how well he's going to move laterally. But I think he's also a dark horse finals MVP pick because of all of the, the, the attention that's going to be paid to Steph Curry and getting the ball out of his hands. I expect Klay Thompson to be the beneficiary of that. And he's going to have some big games in this NBA finals. They just have to stop the bleeding, the Boston Celtics. When Klay Thompson gets hot, they have to figure out a way to defend both Steph and Clay, and they're going to put a lot of attention on Steph, but Clay Thompson defensively, he's going to have to power through a lot of screens and try not to get hunted on those switches. The Golden State Warriors do not like to switch because that brings a lot of those those um, those hunting defensively. We see a lot of that in these playoffs. I expect Clay Thompson to get hunted, but they're going to try to get him off of those screens. Yeah, but he's also the beneficiary, I would say, defensively from the presence of Andrew Wiggins, who has become their go-to perimeter defender. Uh, we saw him do the work against Luka Doncic. Uh, you know, Doncic still got his numbers, but but Andrew Wiggins made him work for it. And I expect more of the same against Jason Tatum, right? The the number one defensive assignment. And maybe in the past that would have gone to Clay Thompson, but now it can be Andrew Wiggins. And I'm not sure where you can hide. Tatum or I'm sorry we can hide Thompson uh that, that's one of the things about the, the the Celtics is that they can hurt you from a variety of positions but um he at least doesn't have to worry about taking on the number one player from the Celtics you know uh Stro, with your Miami ties I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Jimmy Butler and what he uh what he showed the world in game six and game seven uh of that that Celtics heat series because I'm telling you that series was over. After five games, it was over. They're coming back to Boston. They're going to lay down and probably lose by 25 points. See you later. Jimmy Butler out of his mind in game six with 47 points and then game seven. I think he really willed them to a competitive game. What did you think of the shot uh, at the end of game seven? What did you think of Jimmy Butler, uh, his performance in those two games? I love the shot. Got to be honest, I would like to see that shot 10 times out of 10. He was in rhythm. It's not guaranteed that going against Al Horford at the rim is going to be a winning strategy. If you're going to go for that shot, you're going for the win. And I love that about Jimmy Butler. He went for the kill. I have no problems with him taking that shot. I do have a problem with Kyle Lowry's play in that series. And it really worries me that looking at that guy who's 36, 37 years old, going into two more years at about 30 plus million a year for the Miami Heat, they were expecting him to be the third star next to Bam Adebayo, and he was not that player at all in this postseason. And it reminded me of, guys, Mike Bibby uh, with the Miami Heat in 2011, nice. where Eric Spolster continued to start Mike Bibby, thinking he could dial it back and be the Mike Bibby of old, when <laughs> really he, he was just old Mike Bibby. <laughs> and, and so now Kyle Lowry's got two more years on this contract, and it, he needs to step up because Jimmy Butler playing like this they cannot waste Jimmy Butler at this level of play. They need him to have that third star, and let's hope that Kyle Lowry can bring it next year. To me, the bigger concern is can Bam Adebayo be that second star consistently? He had that mm. one breakout game, 
again, notably in the absence of Robert Williams during the conference finals, but really to me wasn't consistently enough of a threat throughout that series. Um, he's young enough where you can, you know, count on him improving. Uh, but going forward, you know, you talk about can Lyrie be the third star? Can we really consider Bam Adebayo the second star? Uh, and, and how much longer can we ask, ask Jimmy Butler to st- stay in this level as he's getting up there as well? Timeline issues for the Heat. Yeah, I thought, you know, Bam, right. for me, Bam, I thought he turned a corner there after he had the big night, big night. I think it was game four, and he really just fell apart, and he didn't, wasn't able to get to that assertion. I think he's very capable of that being a 20-point scorer in this, NBA, in this NBA right now. Problem is, he needs that mentality. I thought he saw it. I thought he realized that he can be that player. Um, because Jimmy Butler's getting there up there in age, and he's got those Tom Thibodeau miles on those tires. So you can't <laughs> expect Jimmy to keep doing this for two, three years down the road. You, I expect probably one, maybe two more years of elite play, MVP caliber play from Jimmy Butler in the playoffs. And make no mistake about it, Jimmy is one of those 16-win players. Draymond Green coined it. There are 82-game players, and then there are 16-win players. Jimmy Butler is one of those 16-win players. He, in the playoffs, has all of his 40-point games in his career have come in the playoffs. And I expect that Bam Adebayo, after he watches the film and he talks to Pat Riley and he talks to Eric Spolster this offseason, they need that guy who believes he's a 25-point scorer because I think he can be that if he has the right mentality. Yeah, you got that mentality, bro. You got it, Tom. Thanks for hanging out with us. (laughs) Enjoy it enjoyed i'm so looking forward to just a game we don't have to say what do you think is gonna happen how about this we get to see it tonight san francisco six o'clock pacific time i'm doing that for y'all i'm doing that for you jay you had that for many years 6 p.m pacific 9 eastern all right tom haberstro appreciate you man talk to you Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Thanks, fellas. All right, we've got a couple of L.A. guys, guys with L.A. ties, Lakers, uh, Lakers experts, let's call them that, on the show. So let's get to this. Uh, we talked about Darvin Ham a little bit earlier in the week, but I'm just really interested to know if, if Lakers culture has shifted since Darvin Ham I'm just so impressed by this. I'm so impressed by this, Josiah Johnson and uh, Jay Adande. I'm so impressed that Darvin Ham, first-time head coach, has not coached a single game since, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, Kurt Rambis is going to be out of my meetings. Okay, you got it, Darvin. Uh, no, he's not going to be in the meetings. <laughs> and, and, you know, I got, I'm going to tell you something else. Don't think you're going to hand me some assistant coaches and I ain't going to have something to say about it. Okay, okay, Darvin, you got it. No assistant coaches. What else? Has the culture shifted? Josiah Johnson, what do you think? Uh, and do you like this hire? 
I'm a big fan of the hire. Uh, as you guys know, my dad, Marcus Johnson, works for the Milwaukee Bucks. So I've got to, you know, spend a lot of time out there. Got a chance to talk to Coach Ham a little bit when he was over there. He's a guy that commands respect. And to your point, uh, you know, he's a first-time head coach, but he's 6'8", 250. So when he rolls in there, you know, he makes some demands. They're going to listen. <laughs> who who going to want to see him? I think that's a good thing, too, for the squad to be able to have a coach that's like that, that's a former player, but also somebody who can check them, have those those tough conversations with them. So to see the way that Giannis gave him the, uh, you know, the encouragement and the approval, getting his job, and to see the way LeBron has embraced it, I'm excited for the squad. But none of this is going to matter if Anthony Davis isn't healthy. You also have to look at... Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's that's the, the key to whether the Lakers go anywhere next year is if they can get a hand to him healthy Anthony Davis and that but that's always the question with Anthony Davis right is he going to be healthy how many games you're going to get out of him but um the, the thing is I, I I give the Lakers credit actually for not being trendsetters but actually for for following uh and and for seeing the way things are going and for signing up for getting and joining the parade because for one thing we saw how successful the Celtics have been with a first-year coach in Emil Doku who didn't come through the thing the Lakers used to do great with first-time head coaches Paul Weston, if you watch Winning Time, first-time coach in the NBA as a head coach, wins a championship. Two years later, they get rid of Westhead, bring in Pat Riley. He wins a championship as his first time as a head coach in his first year. So the used the way the Lakeway used to be give a guy a shot from within. Yeah. Now they're giving a guy a shot from without. Um, but again, look at the NBA finals. You got Ime Odoka, who's in the finals his first year as a head coach. Uh, you got Steve Kerr, who the first year he was a head coach, won the championship in the NBA Finals. Um, look at who beat Kerr the, la- the year after that. And it was Ty Lue in his first year as a head coach, <laughs> won the championship. So that's the way things have been going. So I'm giving the Lakers actually credit for being trend followers, whereas in the 80s they were trendsetters. But sometimes you got to recognize where things are going and get on board that train. Josiah, that tweet's <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's messed up. That's hilarious. So, so that oh, actually okay, reminds but- me, though. You know, you know, of the three guys yeah. on this panel here, I used to write for the LA Times, but I've never been written about in the LA Times. Real nice write-up about Josiah and his strong Twitter game in the LA Times this week. You should all check it out. But it makes me want to know, um, you know, a what what what's the key behind your Twitter prowess? And B, how would you Ooh, say that you've been able to to capitalize on it? How have you been able to turn it into something more productive than just getting a lot of likes and retweets? Well, this is the thing, man. Social media now has become a humongous industry. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. So just for me, just trying to get my seat at the table, you know, trying to go out there, get my flares out. So, you know, the thing about social media is it's social, right? A lot of people hear that, but they don't understand it. So you got to be in the moment. So games like the NBA Finals tonight, I'm going to be hot and heavy. I'm going to be getting the jokes out. But really try to be as relatable as possible. You saw the uh, Coming to America clip. And I, I like things that are, you know, that I grew up watching. I use Friday, you know, shout out to DJ Pooh, shout out to, you know, Boys in the Hood, John Singleton, stuff like that. But find the most relatable content and figure out a way to communicate and engage with your audience uh, as seamlessly as possible. Yeah, that's, that's really smart. Let me ask you, as you're watching this uh, tonight, uh, who will you be rooting for? Uh, who, who will you be rooting for and who do you think is going to win? So, you know, in a perfect world, I'd help both teams to lose the finals. I'm not rocking with the Celtics. I'm not rocking with the Warriors. It's tough, man. You know, every, every the kind of the Celtics are kind of this underdog, but they got the top defensive squad. But when I look at this Warriors team, man, this has got way too many weapons, you know, for me, if I'm if I'm if I'm picking a side. You know, Steph Curry kind of gunning for that first finals MVP. 
play with the redemption story, missing two seasons, coming back. He's a guy who's, you know, Steph might be the favorite to get that finals MVP, but Clay's definitely looking at it. Andrew Wiggins, who, you know, some people were calling a bust, but, you know, he's, I don't, I don't put him in bustville, but he's been a solid, steady player, number one overall pick. Uh, you know, Draymond, who's obviously just the, you know, really the heart and soul of that squad. And then Jordan Poole, you just got, you got too many guys on that team who are trying to get buckets. So the matchups are going to be an issue, but also don't want to discredit or count out the Celtics with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Early in the season, we were talking about, does this thing work? Do they need to make a trade? These guys are really rally behind each other and, uh, you know, really help Ema in his first year find some life. So if I had to put some bread on it, I'm definitely going with the Warriors, but I would not be surprised if the Celtics take this thing. Do you have a clip in mind if the Celtics lose this? <laughs> do you already, you know, I, you already planning ahead? Okay, how can I really rub it into the Celtics if they lose this series? I mean, I try to be in the moment, but, you know, I always keep, you know, it's like Sugar Free said, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. So I always have some clips <laughs> just, just lurking, ready to come out the woodwork. <laughs> There you go. I, I want to like I, fast I, forward we'll, to the end of the series now yeah. to see what it's going I know. To be. We'll be following. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll be following. You know, the last time you were on, Josiah, just to, uh, to, to make a, a, a hard turn here, last time you were on, we were talking about Colin Kaepernick. Uh, you have worked with Colin. You were talking about his, his desire and kind of shutting down some of these false narratives out there that, oh, you know, he's not interested in football. Uh, you know, he, he's making demands. You're saying all this stuff is false. Since that conversation that we had, you know, uh, Kaepernick has had a tryout, um, a, a workout, I should call it that, a workout with the Las Vegas Raiders. And there was even talk there were more teams interested, not just the Raiders. What did you think about uh, Kaepernick going to work out with the Raiders? And what do you think his, uh, what do you think his 2022 uh, will look like from an uh, ap- athletic standpoint? Well, look, obviously captain out of the league since 2016, so he's probably lost a step, but still has the arm strength. Even when he was doing the show with us back in 2019, he was working out five, six days a week. So I've always just admired and respect him for trying to keep the dream alive and, and, and still just showing and proving that he wants to be a quarterback. And shout out to Mark Davis and the Raiders, too, for, you know, extending that olive branch, letting him, you know, work his way back in there. Obviously, no deal came out of that workout, but uh, all things point, and everybody said that he was very impressive in that workout. So I'm a fan of Cap. I know, you know, he started this about a month or two ago. He just started doing workouts across the country, pulling up and, and throwing with receivers. So... For me, I think he's showing that he still has a desire to want to play. He still can play. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, everybody talked about, oh, he doesn't want to be a backup. He wants this. He wants that. Uh, you know, talking to the man myself and hearing what he wants to say, I think he just wants an opportunity to showcase his skills and show what he can do in the NFL. Josiah, don't you think beyond just whether or not it would it would make football sense, don't you think the potential benefits, you know, the 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 attention that you'd get, yeah, you, there'd be some blowback and criticism, but I think especially in 2022, we're in a much better much different place, and I will say a, a better place with regards to that and the way Kaepernick is perceived than we were in 2016. So don't you think it's – especially the Raiders, whose brand has always been going against the grain, yeah. don't you think it would make totally sense brand, just right. to do it for the, the publicity, the PR value of it, even beyond just the football aspects of it? Well, yeah, Raiders, Las Vegas, you know, just already known for having great shows and spectacles. So I think bringing Cap there would be amazing. Everybody talks, oh, I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to do this. NBA's numbers are better. NFL's numbers are better than ever. They're making a ton of bread. So fans are going to watch football. They love football. They're going to watch it no matter what. And if you're not watching it because a guy peacefully protested and took a knee to raise awareness to all the social injustice going on in the world, especially with everything that's going on now, even still in 2022, then uh, you got bigger problems at hand. So it, it definitely was never an issue with football. 
or with Colin. You have a lot of other things that you're worried about that that have nothing to do with those things. So for me, seeing Colin come back would be amazing. I'm rooting for him. I feel like everybody should be rooting for him. It's a great story if he's able to come back and do some things on the field. And, you know, there's going to be pressure on him to perform. Obviously, all the naysayers are hoping that he doesn't do well. But I know Colin. I know he's got a chip on his shoulder, and he's ready to go out and prove that he can still be a quarterback in the NFL. Uh, Josiah, you said it was a peaceful protest. It absolutely was. It was a peaceful protest, and it was a consistent protest. Unlike uh, manager in San Francisco, J.A., hey, hey, gay capital is like, hey, man, I'm protesting. What? What? It's Memorial Day? Okay, it's off. Okay, it's back on. Flag day. Flag day's coming up. <laughs> I don't know if I can. <laughs> at least, at least my man stayed with it. He was true to that game without even paying attention to the calendar. I mean, I think definitely you think, uh, you know, think about like Antonio Brown and comments that have been made recently about Cap. And this thing about Cap, he's doing a lot of stuff for the community. He doesn't need cameras there. He don't need to say, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing. He just does it. So a lot of these people wonder, well, how come I don't see him doing this, that or whatever? It's like he's not out there broadcasting this stuff. He's just doing it because he wants to do it. I think the great thing about him is super genuine in his intentions. He's been giving back through uh, various organizations to know your rights camp and various things that he's doing out here. So so respect to Gabe. But, you know, when Gabe first said that, if you're going to do these things, you just got to do them. You can't make an announcement and, hey, this is what I'm going to do because their management get, catches wind of that and next thing you know, well, hey, I'm going to hold off and then, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm going to start tomorrow or do whatever. You just got to do it. But I respect his intentions there, so I'm not going to knock him. But, you know, hopefully he's able to accomplish the goals that he's setting out to do by with his with his peaceful yeah, protest. That's right. If we, if we talk about peaceful protests. I want to talk about something that was non-peaceful protest. And that was Tommy Pham going upside Jack Peterson's head over some fantasy football beef. What do you make of that? What do you make of the three-game suspension that was levied on Fam for the smack? Look, man, you know, guys take their fantasy football serious. Uh, you know, personally, I'm not slapping nobody for that. I'm not sacrificing no bread for none of that. But when I first saw it, I kept, I kept thinking it's a joke. Like, I know these dudes didn't really get into it over that, but as obviously the story developed and you found out it was real, look, these guys take these things serious. So, you know, beef, you know, beef goes wherever, you know what I mean? So... So watch it. Yeah, I'm even looking at the tape right now. Like, this, this is some real stuff. I shout mean, out Jock Peter, the former on, Dodger, but you got to, you know, you got, you got Chris Rock out there. You got to protect your neck. You got to be on the kick the <laughs> head on the swivel and avoid them slaps. Even from that man, grainy man, footage man. shot at a distance, it looks like Peterson's like, come on, man. Why you do me like that? Why you got to uh, do come me on. like that like, over fantasy all, football? Yeah, over fantasy football. You're slapping me out in public. First of all, you're slapping me. <laughs> it's public. And it's over fantasy football. And then, and then these dudes, I love it, man. They come back. Jock Peterson, like, here's a screenshot right here. No, my man, I was allowed to do that. The rules said I could do it. You know, unbelievable. Hey, Josiah, man, we always appreciate hanging out with you. We will be following you tonight. I can't wait to see what you come up with uh, for this NBA Finals game tonight. Man, and everything else that you're doing, uh, you always have some creative project. You're always doing something. So, uh, we we really enjoy having uh, having some time to spend with you. Appreciate y'all having me on. Bingo side never All right, misses. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> never misses. He never misses. It's unbelievable. <laughs> that in a thousand. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. 
Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. We play in a city that it has no patience or no, for any excuses. So we didn't make any. Um, but, you know, as things started to come together, we got healthier. We made a couple moves in the front office that were, you know, vital for us. And things started to, to fall in line. Like JB said, you know, they have a, we play for a city that's very impatient. They have every right to be. Um, the things that they've accomplished, you know, it's kind of hard not to be impatient. So we understood it. We get it. And it just helps us strive to even, you know, um, go out there and, and, you know, please that impatience that they have um, is fuel to our fire. All oh, the NBA finals start tonight. We're so excited. We're so excited. Kurt Heelan. Pro Basketball Talk is here with a different background. That means you must be there. Are you in San Francisco, Kurt? I don't see any. I don't see the great kitchen. Tom, Tom Haverstrow oh, had like pictures the, of the Golden Gate Bridge in the back of his hotel room. I, I, don't, see, I don't see any. They put him in a better place than they put me, I guess. <laughs> I, I have a beautiful view of the city. Um, if you don't want to see my face and just have me backlit, I have a great view. But <laughs> that's sure it works for this. <laughs> So how are you feeling, man, going into this? You know, we, we all, you know, do our prep before these games, and you think the series is going to play out a certain way, and then the games start, and we have to to start all over and say, ah, that's not what I expected. But before the game, how do you see it playing out? I think it's going to come down to, I think the two big questions I've got are, can the Warriors keep Jordan Poole on the floor because I think the, the Celtics are going to try to play him off of it, right? They're going to go at him every chance they get. They're going to make life difficult. Um, if Poole can stay on the floor and be that extra scoring option against an elite defense, that helps a lot. Uh, the other question I've got, guys, the reason I've picked the Warriors in this is, does Boston have championship poise to, mm. to get past the Warriors? Because I know the Warriors have it. I saw them in game three against Dallas. We've seen it for years. But you get to game six, Boston going into my against Miami, and they can't close it out at home. They've got a double-digit lead deep into the fourth quarter of game seven against Miami, and they give up that 11-0 run. And if you – and you – JJ, you, Michael, you guys know this. That 11-0 run against – the heat that's a 17-0 run against the warriors right like they get a couple of threes right. going they get going in transition and you're done i have to see that from boston no we're waiting to see it on the court but sometimes you can pick things up even from the media sessions i remember i, I was at the super bowl this year and i was around the, the bengals and i thought you know this is a good group loose they clearly like each other the bond it's a fun group to be around but they also seemed really young and i thought that came into play they made some young mistakes in the Super Bowl that I think cost them the game. What vibe did you pick up, particularly from the Celtics, um, when you spent when you saw them at Media Day yesterday? They they seemed pretty determined. Uh, they seemed pretty focused. I, I look they're young. I mean Tatum's 24, like but they've been to multiple big games. Tatum's played in the Olympics. They've they've made deep playoff runs before. I think that with especially it starts top down. Emilio Doka's been there before, right? Like he's been on Popovich's staff. He's been in big games. They had, I think, a very grounded sense of what they want to do and a belief in their athleticism and defense that can 
that, hey, we we are the one team that can really give the Warriors trouble um, with their offense, that they're the one team who can stand up to them. Yeah, Tatum, yeah, I mean, he's, the, only, he's, only, yeah. he's already played 68 playoff games. This is almost half as many as Al Horford already, you know, you know, he has been in the league nearly as long as Horford. So, so they, they've got experience. They just don't have finals experience. And yeah, it's, you know, you know, this Jay, yeah, ahead, it's just different ahead. and there's no way to just explain that. Right. Like Kerr was calling it the circus yesterday, right? Like the circus comes to town and it's just different and you've got more time off, but you've also got all these weird expectations how do you adapt and adjust to that? Um, and the Warriors know, and I think that we're going to find out how fast the Celtics learn, but sometimes you have to learn these things the hard way in the NBA. Yeah, it's, a, it's an excellent point. I think the poise uh, point is a great one. I agree with it, uh, Kurt. You know, game five, it was one of the, they're fortunate. They're fortunate. They survived two of the worst meltdowns I've ever seen. Like game five, Milwaukee. That's a that's one of the that's a historically bad choke job. Like two minutes ago, yeah. they, their win percentage uh, was like you know they got a ninety eight percent chance of winning the game, <laughs> and they lost it. <laughs> okay, and then they got an eleven point lead in game seven, and if Jimmy Butler makes that three, they're down by one. I mean, it's just it's staggering that these things happen to them. But what they lack in poise, guys. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday. They may have in wisdom, and it may be unintentional wisdom, but they have it. Okay, at the end of last year, they're struggling. They tuned out Brad Stevens. So they, they're the reason Brad Stevens went from the bench to the front office. But this is what's so crazy. They went to Stevens, and they said, the guy we want you to hire is Ime Udoka. Udoka was hired because the Celtics, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum said, Hire him and it gets better. Not only did they say hire him. They said we want him because he's going to coach us hard. What? Excuse me. Do you want to be coached hard? <laughs> you, this this Why is the guy you tell you me want? that when I was coaching the team. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so they they are Udoka deserves all the credit in the world for what he's done and how he's done it. And these guys, their leaders of the team deserve credit for I guess getting their coach to the front office and bringing in the new guy and having him lead them. So uh, they, they, they're a weird team. I'll, I'll give you that. Kurt, they're a weird team. They are. So they are. They, you, know yeah. what they, you know what the other thing they've got? They are the more physical, bigger, more athletic team. Like, generally, that's a good thing, right? Like that's usually the team that wins. I think experience is going to matter here, but this is a team that is just bigger, stronger, faster. And if they can exploit that, they'll be great. So, Kurt, I, I think the the Ainge era, you know, remember, clearly he drafted well. He drafted all these guys that are now have them here in the finals. Um, but I think his downfall was that he was always kind of hoping and playing for it and wishing and dreaming for that, that magical player to come in, Anthony Davis or whatever, Kevin Durant at one point. You know, always hoping to have that big free agent or trade that would just put them over the top to repeat the magic when they got Kevin Garnett. And it never happened and eventually led to his exit. Um, do you now rethink the way we should view Danny Ainge and his tenure with the Celtics, given the fact that this is basically his team that he put together that's here yeah. in the finals? I think, by the way, good luck drawing that big start of Utah. Um, he's, he has got to 
I think you've got to give him credit for being patient with this team, too. And I, part of that's just the job security he knew he had. He didn't feel the pressure like, we got to win now or I'm going to lose my job. And you see GMs trying to be aggressive because they're not sure what their window is. He was never... He never backed away from this duo being good enough to have them at this stage. And I think that is to his credit. I think his patience, his drafting, look, he's not perfect. No GM is perfect. He certainly made mistakes. And I think you're right. He kept he kept waiting for the outside force that he didn't need necessarily to come in and save them. But it's, it's like Dorothy, right? In Wizard of Oz. Guys like together, man. Home was all you needed to be all along to stay here. All the answers are right <laughs> <Exactly>. here. <laughs> If, if you, uh, you know, we talk about uh, Danny Ainge and, and how, how well he drafted. Brad Stevens has made some good trades, traded a first-round pick and Kimba Walker, brought back Horford, traded another first-round pick, brought in Derek White. If you're a team out there, Kurt, you say, all right, I know this guy. He's got a good contract in Boston. They're in the NBA Finals, but he's not even 50 years old yet. He coached for eight years. They usually got better. Um, I know I know he understands front office dynamics. I'm gonna go with Brad Stevens. I'm gonna make him a big offer to be my head coach and and czar of basketball operations. Do you think a team should do that? I mean, I know like there are no vacancies now, but do you think a team should be thinking back of the mind? I'm going to Brad Stevens. That model has only worked in one place and everybody pulls it together. Occasionally the Clippers did it with Doc Rivers. Uh, th- there was the Tom Thibodeau experiment. Like I just the coach GM thing has only worked with the exception to every rule that is Greg Popovich, right? Outside of that, yeah. I'm, I'm as much yeah. as I like Brad Stevens, I'm really hesitant to give one guy. And as much as I think he's level-headed, well, how about coaching? Better. How about getting him back to the sideline just as a coach? Do you think, you know, because it's it. He's been he's been coached out of Boston now because Doke is doing a really good job. Um, but do you think another team could look at him and say, "Well, why not?" You're trying to get him to go back to college. Is that what you're trying to do here? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I I I don't know. I you know it's kind of and it, this is something that I I'm not sure I can answer for him because I don't know him well enough. Where is he in his life? Is he in the I guess there's you're on the road a lot as a coach. You're on the road a lot as a GM if you're doing the job right, if you're out looking at college players and, and taking some trips to Europe. But you can – it's a little easier on the family life and the domestic life yeah, than it might be right. as a uh, as a the grind of a coach. So where is he personally? Does he want to be back? Is he itching in three years to be back on the sidelines? Because if he is, somebody will hire him. He was good. Kurt, do you think this maybe means the last time we'll see a superstar college coach being brought up to the NBA and being, you know, portrayed as the savior for a team or, you know, the, the, the next genius hire for a team the way Brad Stevens was? Um, do you think we'll see that again? Are there even any real candidates out there like Stevens was a few years ago? Oh, yeah. Juwan Howard. Juwan, Ju- yeah. I'm sure that he will be back in a couple of years. I'm sure he'll take an NBA job once his – look – I get it. He's getting to coach his kids. That's a dream, right? Like I, he's not leaving Michigan for a few years, but uh, as good as Zingerman's deli is, I think he's out of Ann Arbor in a few years and takes an NBA job somewhere, man. (laughs) Oh, that's good stuff. Hey, Kurt Heelan, man. Always appreciate talking with you, brother. 
I don't know what's going to happen in this series, but I'm just uh, I'm excited to sit back and take it all in. Enjoy San Francisco. Enjoy your your room that's not as good as Tom Haberstroh's room. Is that what you Enjoy the view. Yeah, we're we're, we're going to have a conversation about that. <laughs> Me and the league office people are having a conversation about the room. Well, have fun. We'll talk to you soon, man. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Now about Oscar night, my deepest hope is that these two intelligent, capable men have an opportunity to heal, talk this out, and reconcile. The state of the world today, we need them both. And we all actually need one another more than ever. Until then, Will and I are continuing to do what we have done for the last 28 years. And that's keep figuring out this thing called life together. Thank you for listening. Mm. <laughs> All right, J.A. Hey, man, that was Jada Pinkett Smith. At, Come on, Mike. At like, the red table. Uh, 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 Self-important much? I mean, we need Chris Rock and Will Smith to reconcile. We, we need the presence of what we don't need them both. The state of the world today, Chris Rock and Will Smith reconciling is not high on my list of things we need to address and things we well, need for a healthier well, world right now. Come I'm on. sorry. No, you mean you're being harsh. You're being harsh, man. You know, listen, I understand what she's trying to say. She wants a reconciliation <laughs> between two of the right. biggest stars. But it's not in essential the to the state of the world right now. It's just One not. One of them she I'm happens sorry. to be married to. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what? You know <laughs> we, can, we can live just that by. That would be nice. If they're still mad at each other. Yeah, that would be nice. It would be nice. Okay. But here's the thing here's the problem. So, Jay, you know, we've known each other for a long time. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm going to tell you the number. I'm going to tell you how many years we've known each other. Ooh. Oh, man. I think 94, the number. Nine, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, like, 93 and 94. Right. It was like, yeah, yeah. And I, and, I, and I heard about you before then. I got to tell you, I heard about you before I met you. Because remember, Ter- you know, Terrence Harris? Yeah. Terrence Harris. Jeez. So, Terrence Harris... He was an intern at the Cleveland Plain Dealer in sports. I was an intern there in news. Terrence Harris was like, man, the dude to watch out for is this <laughs> dude at the Washington Post named J.A. Donde, man. He cold. He's like, he'd bring out your clips. He's like, man, check him out. Look at that, J.A. Donde. I was like, yeah, man, he's nice. He's nice. So everybody was talking about a Donde. You were the one. I, I had a you big summer in 91. You were Neo, the I had a one. Big summer '91 in my Washington Post internship. Shout out to George Solomon, yeah. giving me all those opportunities. Yeah, yeah. So it's great. So anyway, so we've known each other for a long time. Um, we may have disagreed, but we never really got into any kind of like deep fights. Like you nothing never elevated me. to the level of a slap. Hey, hey in right. public, you never slapped me. You never slapped me. I never slapped you. If that had happened. I'm sure if I had been wrong, I would have said, hey, Jay, I love you. I'm sorry. And we move on. But the problem with this slap is that the whole world saw it. 
So it's not just a matter of, of reconciliation between two people. Oh, we had a disagreement. It was it's reconciliation and the entire world saw it, recorded it, commented on it, like uh, started, uh, you know, had had side conversations off of this. And, you know, it like it's just too much. It's too much just to say, OK, they, they should reconcile. Jay, they may never reconcile. And the world will continue to spin on its access accordingly. So I'm, I'm cool with that. You know what I'd rather <laughs> talk about today? Tell me. Today, June 2nd, is the 20-year anniversary of the debut of The Wire. Arguably the greatest TV show in the mm. history of the medium. Uh, I almost feel like default, we got to go to what is the best season of The Wire, in your opinion? Or how do you rank the five seasons? So well, in that story always... by, by Alan Seppel on Rolling Stone, real quick, he's, he made a good point that it wasn't meant to to be episodic. Like, it, like there was too much going on right. for any one episode to be great. So right. notice we never rank what are your top ten Wire episodes. But we do have conversations about how do you rank the five seasons of The Wire. But so you know, you I always, I'm always, I'm always confused by the, by these, uh, by these rankings with, 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 like defining shows. Okay, if the show is definitive, if the show changes uh, conversations and there's nothing like it, well, isn't it obvious? The best season is the show, is the season that started it off. So, like, whether we're talking about The Sopranos. Or talking about the wire or anything else, season one is the best one. It's the most impactful. I'll put it that way. See, season I, one I, is I the discreet. most impactful. If, for one thing, one of the things that makes TV, in some ways, and why I think why it's kind of moved ahead of movies, is that the characters, the actors, get more time with the characters, so they get to develop them, so they get better. Yeah. Like the Tony Soprano you see in season one, as great as the pilot is, I think the Sopranos has the best pilot of all time. But so, Tony, we Ooh. get all different aspects and sides of him. And James Gandolfini did such a tremendous job but we that saw, the Tony we Soprano we see in though. later seasons is much more interesting than the Tony Soprano we see in season one. The wire that we get to, and I'll give it away, season four was the best season of The Wire. The, the show four out of five, at huh? that stage, season four out of five, the, the season that's based on the schools and education, to me is the best season of anything in the history of the television medium. Um, but again, Ooh, it only thing. means that much because of yeah. we've had so much investment in the characters and the story arc and, and just the, the placement of the city in Baltimore. We, we know all the characters so well by that point um, that even introducing the new set with the kids, uh, but the way everything fits in by that point of the season, as invested as we are, it leads to the greatest season in TV history. You know what blows my mind? It's encouraging, uh, too, but it's shocking that the wire like we talk about it and, and it's 20 years and wow it's amazing and remember what it did and, and how TV was before the wire and and how it kind of opened the doors for different types of programming it really wasn't like a huge success in its time it was like a niche show and so I, I mean I'm surprised by that because it was so excellent but the second thing is I'm encouraged because you can have a great thing and it doesn't mean that everybody is going to flock to it. You could be so great that time. you could be five years ahead of ahead of your time. 
I'm like, I was surprised. I, I saw an interview with uh, David Simon. Thank you. Newspaper guy. Shout out Baltimore Sun. Baltimore anyway, Sun. I saw I saw an interview with him and he said it was really that was really never the point. The point was not to like do this long show. It, it really was to point out some of the uh, some of the flaws uh, in our system in our society and right. it was meant to maybe put up a mirror and then lead to some reflection and correction. And he was stunned. I don't know why he was, but he was stunned that the reflection happened, but the correction never did. Yeah, As a matter unfortunately, of fact, and it, things got, we, we, things it, got worse. Yeah, and, and the same thing, it, 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 it's sad how well it's held up in so many regards. And if you watch the very opening scene of the, the first show in the series, where does it start with? A shooting and a dead body in the street, which could just as easily be yes. today as it could be back then. Uh, ironically, the one thing that doesn't hold up very well is the theme of the first season and the title of the entire show, The Wire. You wouldn't have a show today where it, the, the main plot point of the season centers on a wiretap of a payphone. You know, I'm sorry. Right. You just, that just wouldn't cut it today. No one would tune in. Uh, they just took the last payphone out of the streets of New York City out of Times Square. So the, the, the essential premise of the initial season of that wouldn't hold up. But everything else about it, namely the systematic decay, right, in our, our uh, policing yeah. system, in our labor system, in the politics, education, and media, the breakdown of all those essential systems in America, that's what the show was about. And unfortunately, he's right. It was never corrected. It was never repaired. All right. Well, I got to ask you this. You talk about the best season. Uh, and you say it's season four. I say it's season one because it just set the tone. I, I'm, all, I'm all about foundational things. Give me my foundational pieces first, and then everything else follows after that. That's just, that's just the way I think. But here's a, bit, here's a big question. We saw that great picture there. So much talent on the show. Oh, man. Who was the best actor? The best actor. That's, that's almost impossible to answer. Look at that. Look at that talent. Look at that lineup. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't even have, like, you don't even have Wendell Pierce in there. Wendell Pierce in there? Yeah. Wendell Pierce is another I mean, one. You got, you got to nominate him. Omar's and, and not in Michael that picture. Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan's not in that picture. The the kids were Miss Snoop. I mean, (laughs) shout out to Method. Method Man's hosting a 20-year podcast, by the way. You know, another ranking, like Method Man, one of my favorite voices to listen to anything. Like, to me, having Method Man narrate something or having Chuck D narrate something and or rap something, you can't go wrong with either of those two. So the Wire 20th anniversary podcast is out right now with Method Man narrating. It's great. It's great. Now, I mean... The, the, that's the irony. So like answer. McNulty, I, like I'm not I sure McNulty, answer. the actor that plays McNulty, would be in my top ten actors on the show, and he was somewhat the the center focal point of season one, somewhat. But that's one of the genius of the show was it really wasn't about any one person in particular. It was about the system, and it wasn't about okay, Baltimore. It, Anyone that thinks this was a show about Baltimore, you're reading it wrong. It's about America. They tell you so in the very first opening scene. This is about America. It, and you use a city as your, it's like, it's like writing a story, right? You use somebody, you use, right. use a character, uh, they're a composite to the tell the, the larger right. story. Yeah, that's that. What do you call that, Professor? What do you call it? Is that the, uh, it's, it's, is that the Wall the Street, is that the example, Wall Street right. Journal uh, approach? That's, that's usually that the Wall Street Journal lead. They bring in somebody, hey, uh, J.A. Adonde, but we're not really right. writing about you, J.A. We're writing right. about what you represent. We, we, we had people. someone, 
one of the editors of the Washington Post used to call it Marty Zimmerman Lee, and he said we did it too much. But, like, Marty Zimmerman, you know, is trying to work, but inflation is getting too much for him, and he's worried about the rising interest rates. Oh, yeah. He is not alone, right? And our editor said too many Marty Zimmerman Lees where, you know, we're starting <laughs> off with this one guy representing everything. But I will say this, journalism students out there, people aspiring, you can't go wrong with it. It might be overdone. It might be a little bit right. hackneyed. But, but hey, you know, you can never go wrong identifying characters and using them to represent something rather than just a bunch of statistics, right? We're people. We care about people more than we care about numbers. Yes, right. You, you can't, we can't write a numbers story with just the raw numbers. You got to come up with something else. Speaking of stories and speaking of journalism, I don't know if you've seen uh, this story. Unfortunately, uh, the woman did not die, but you see this story from Yellowstone Park. Uh, there was a woman who was gored by a bison she was thrown 10 feet in the air. Uh, I think a punctured something. Okay, but she's not dead. Thank God. But out of Yellowstone Park, gored by a bison. And it reminded me, J.A., of the time I was out of Yellowstone. Now, look at that. Like, who would mess around with an animal no. like that? Like, you shouldn't. Who would do that? Guess what? You won't get tossed 10 feet if you don't get within 10 feet, right? Uh, like, that, no need amen. to go anywhere near the bison. Amen. Amen. All right. So let me tell you a story. I have driven cross country twice in my life. Now, the first time I did it by myself, 1995, drove cross country, started off in Boston, wound up in Berkeley, California, went to an A's game at the old stadium. Then I was like, you know what? Um, the old stadium, which is still their stadium, right? Uh, I, I went to an A's game. I was like, man, I'm kind of lonely. Let me go home. But along the way, along the way, I stopped, in Yellowstone, I stopped in Yellowstone Park. And I was just so ignorant at the time. I thought Yellowstone Park would be this contained. I didn't do my research. I thought it was like this contained space. Like it's park, miles, like and miles, park? And miles You thought it was like Central Park? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's miles not like and miles. a park. No, so, man. No, hey, it ain't no park. Right. Anyway, I drove out there. So beautiful, I just uh, just a sight. So I saw Old Faithful, saw all the stuff. And so as soon as you go in, they were handing out all these flyers about they, they'd show it. It was illustrated a bison head down, goring somebody. Stay away from the bison. Don't provoke them. Hey, just be careful. This is their home. If you see them, just kind of hang back, right? Or if you're ahead of them, get out of there. Man, I parked my car off to the side of the road. I saw, you know, a bison probably like 35 yards away from it. I mean, I had a pretty good, I had my keys in my hand <laughs> and I'm looking at the bison, but I'm kind of leaning toward the car. Don't you know, this kid with a really bad parent, <laughs> about nine years old, picks up a rock throws it at the bison dude. I don't know what my 40 time is officially, <laughs> but that day I was whoever it is. Deion Sanders, Chris Olave, whatever. I ran so fast, got into the car. I was like, see, that's what's wrong with people. And, 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 and if somebody got, if somebody got gored, I hope it, I hope it wasn't a kid. You know, it should have been a Why parent. not? He's the one that threw the rock. Oh, right. Oh, his, parents, his parents, his parents, his parents deserve it. If, if not now, they bad race. But here's the thing. You shouldn't need to be handed 
any type of literature or warning sign. The fact that there's a 2,000-pound animal with horns, that should be enough of a warning to you that you don't want to go anywhere near it. What about a bison is inviting you to go near it to take a picture or something like that? Right. That's what they got zooms for on your, on your phone it. and your camera. Zoom in and take the picture of the bison. You don't need to get near the bison. It weighs 10 times well, as much as you do, and it has horns. Well, J.A., I did say it was 1995. So back then, cell phones were as big as bison. Okay, they, they didn't. I mean, they didn't really. So you had your like, 35 had, millimeter camera, there no right? Camera. Like, there was no, no you, camera. Yeah, on yeah there's so, cameras. There's old yeah, Nikon, Canon cameras, no camera right? Hanging from there's your no neck. There's no camera on the phone. Yeah, right. Good. No, no. I got a good picture. I got a good picture. Then in the picture, I see the kid winding up. I'm like, oh no, really? <laughs> and then through it, then I'm out. But it is worth it if you're ever. Uh, if you're ever in that amazing. area, absolutely check it out. I've never lands, been to Yosemite. All that. You ever been you to, Yosemite? to Yosemite? I'm Yosemite. sure you have. Yeah, Yosemite is incredible. Yeah. You got to get there before like all the lakes evaporate and everything and, and dry up. But uh, but yeah, Yosemite, Yellowstone. So in 2005, I hit all the places that we never get to go in sports. You know, sports doesn't take us to North and South Dakota generally, or to Montana or to Idaho. So I hit up all those spots. Um, Glacier National Park is another one. It's a lot bigger than Central Park. Um, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, all all, all young, this, this beautiful natural space that we have throughout America. You should definitely take the co- time to go there, drive through it. Um, I know gas is a little expensive these days, but it's still worth Tell gassing me. up yeah. the tank and driving around and seeing Yellowstone and the Badlands and Glacier National Park and all those great places. Beautiful, be- and All leave right. the bison alone. Yeah. Stay away from the bison. Don't throw rocks at the bison. Don't get close to the bison. Yeah, let's take or let's take one more break here. Let's take or one more elk. break here and think about that. And <laughs> and the bear. Or nothing. Yeah, definitely not the bear. Leave animals Stay away from the bear. Leave animals alone. Are you an outdoorsy person? You like you camp out? Nah, uh, nah we stay in hotels the whole time. You know, <laughs> stay in hotels. Yeah. I'm trying to see if it starts. I wouldn't There's camping. bison and bears out there. Why am I trying to sleep outdoors? They're roaming yeah, around. They're, yeah, alone. but what they if I'm asleep you. and they don't leave me alone? They might not leave me alone. Guess what? There's nobody handing out literature when you go in the park saying leave the humans alone. They don't know better. All you, all you want to do is just survive so you can tell a story. So I survived that crazy kid, that unsupervised <laughs> kid, trying to provoke the bison. I survived by sleeping in a hotel. I'm not sleeping in some tent. Come on. Hotels have different issues. There's, there's bears out there. Bobby. Coyotes. Sleeping outdoors in the middle of Yellowstone. You crazy? <laughs> you know, Adonde, you just said something that uh, that really makes me appreciate, you know, being in the, the journalism business, particularly sports journalism. And that's, you know, this business has taken us a lot of cool places. You know, the Olympics, you know, World Series, World Cup, NBA, NBA Finals, finals Super Bowls, NCAA World Cup, Final all this Four. stuff. So you get a chance to travel the country and travel the world. It's awesome. And so maybe I'm looking at this uh, from the perspective of somebody who has done this uh, as, a, as a reporter and a writer and who has had press passes to work. But I just can't imagine. I read this story in the San Francisco, San Francisco gate.com. Okay. Cause I, I can't remember which one is still there. Chronicle. <laughs> the Chronicle is still around. Right. Uh, Chronicle. So San Francisco Chronicle, uh, San Francisco gate. 
that co the cost of courtside seats tonight's game is $47,000. $47,000 for a courtside seat to something that I can watch on TV. Like it's not it's not an exclusive thing where I got to I got to have a hookup. Hey, tell me what happened in the NBA finals. What happened? Then what happened? Then what happened? Okay, who's playing? What kind of uniform are they wearing? What's the crowd like? Like it's all not that the stuff, same I can watching see. on TV though, Michael. You can it see it, but you can't experience it and you can't that's the thing about the NBA. It's the only one of the major sports that allows you to sit on the playing surface itself. Put your feet down on the playing right. surface as you're there. The, the intimacy of it. I'm not saying it's worth $47,000. Okay, okay, there, okay, there, okay, there we go. Okay, but, okay, but, but, but right. I'm, not, I'm also not saying that watching on TV is the equivalent of, of being there. So, you know what? If okay, I had the means, the, maybe I would. It's not the equivalent of being there. But, okay, how far would you go? I mean, because this is what I would do. It, 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 I would take that forty-seven grand. Okay, if I got if I got if I got that kind of money, maybe I'll have. I'm not going. I'm still not gonna go. I would have. I'd upgrade all my TV watching stuff. I'd upgrade it. I bring in my favorite. <laughs> You're caterers. still not there. I bring up cater. I got company. W would you Would you drop maybe. forty-seven or fifty grand in the club? You know, getting bottle service. If you're going to drop that kind of money on one night, I'd rather be at the NBA Finals sitting courtside. In my time, I wasn't good at the club. I never had a game. So, so then no. spend it at the game. Go to the game. No, never. It's All right, Jay, TV. great job, man. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.